Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. This is Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Today, we're starting our draft build-up over the next couple of weeks. We'll have all sorts of stuff coming out, building up to the men's and women's 100 draft. But today, we're doing what is likely to become a yearly fixture. It's our Fixing the Welsh Fire podcast. What we're going to do today, we're going to look at the draft, we're going to look at the trends, we're going to look at the players available. We are going to try and create a plan to rebuild the hundreds worst franchise the welsh fire men's team now the women's draft is slightly different you can't complete the overhaul things because the welsh fire only have five picks we'll do some stuff on what the women's side could do but today we're focusing on what the men's side are going to get up to and what we think they should do rather than what they will actually do which could be very different charlie Rebuilding the worst team in the 100 or the worst sides in uh, franchise cricket, it's a challenge that we're always up for. It's certainly a challenge. I feel slightly mean doing this. Like It feels unfair. It feels kind of like I'm being asked to fix the nerdy kid at school by making him popular. And I don't really want to do that because in many ways it ruins the character of the nerd. But this isn't the nerd. This is the Welsh Fire. And they're not just socially awkward they are quite a bad cricket team so rather than the nerd who just needs a bit of encouragement the Welsh Fire need stripping down and refixing that's what we're going to do what's going to happen is they're going to turn up to the prom the Welsh Fire that is fifth place in the table having become respectable and we're going to say you know what we just find the way you are be yourself <laughs> come hate win one game against the London Spirit this is really difficult because the Welsh Fire have been really bad and last year they're an abysmal cricket team they've fired their coach They've brought in Mike Hussey. He, Mike Hussey, has been out and about, you know, saying lots of things about the Welsh Fire. And he said lots of players left the Welsh Fire, not because they were unhappy with the offers, but because they wanted to leave the Welsh Fire, which is not exactly a fantastic sign, Charlie, when you're talking about building a culture in the 100. No, it's not ideal at all. Is it a surprise, though? Probably not. I think we can hasten a pretty decent guess that the likes of Ben Duckett and Lear's Deploy would probably come under that bracket mm-hmm. of players that they would have wanted to keep but didn't want to play there anymore. And I get it, you know? If you're a player and you're playing well, why would you want to play for a team that isn't very good when you could go to a team that is good? You know, it's a pretty simple equation in my mind. But unfortunately, that's what happens when you have a losing culture, which is what they have had. So whatever they do plan to do. I think the first thing that needs to happen is that they can create a dressing room and playing environment that players actually want to be involved with and actually want to come and play for that team. That is vital. That is absolutely vital. And we'll get onto the draft trends and the kind of players we could bring in in a moment. But I think, first of all, we need to set out what the Welsh Fire need to achieve here. And let's talk about the base they have. On the central contract, they have Johnny Bairstow, just a fantastic T20 player and cricketer. Super exciting on the Welsh Fire books. I mean, when he plays for the Welsh Fire, they look like a very, very different cricket team. So great they've got him there. Joe Clark in round four, Ollie Pope in round six, David Payne in round eight, Jake Paul in round 10, George Scrimshaw in round 13. There are some cricketers here, Charlie. I know we're not completely in love with all of their retentions. However, this is the hand we've been dealt. So we're going to run with it. And we're going to just assume that so far, this is all fantastic practice. So let's talk about what the Welsh Fire needs to do and what Mike Huston needs to do. And let's start by talking about the fact that they have no talent on the roster. I think before culture, before anything really, what this side just needs are good cricketers. 
Yeah, that seems like a pretty basic thing to say, but ultimately that is kind of what wins your cricket matches, doesn't it? Having good cricket players. And look, I, I don't dislike any of the players they've retained. I might quibble with the fact that they were retained for this particular club. I might quibble with the particular fee, in particular Oli Pope, I feel like is pretty steep there at 75k, but that's beside the point. I feel like what is the more pressing issue here is that with the exception of Johnny Burstow and potentially Joe Clark on his day, I don't necessarily see any match-winning, consistently elite domestic talent here. And I think that's a big issue because if you look at the other sides in the hundreds and generally all of the best franchise teams around the world, they're built on having that core of really strong domestic players that kind of grow with the team. And, you know, when you think of some of these teams, instantly the players that will come to mind are going to be those handful of domestic players. You know, you think of the Oval Invincibles, you instantly go to Sam Curran, Will Jacks, Jason Roy, Tom Curran, Sekhi Mood. You go to the Southern Brave, of course, and they were so good in that first year when they won. You think of James Vince, Chris Jordan, Jamal Mills, Birmingham Phoenix, same thing, Livingstone, Moeen Alley, Will Smead, Benny Howell. And with the exception of Bearstone, potentially Clark, I'm not really seeing too many of those names. And I think that's something that they need to fix. They don't they don't really have, you know, a great deal of players who are going to change a game or win a game. I look at the Birmingham Phoenix retentions, and from 60k upwards, I think every single one of those players can win them a game. Wokes, Livingston, Shadab, Moeen, Milne, Howell Smead, Kane Richardson. On any given day, any of them can win you a game. And, you know, I think Clark is one of those players. I think Bester is one of those players. We don't know much about what Pope is at the T20 level. You know, we'll see. Um, but they just, they've just not got a great basis here. So it's a very basic thing, but they need to bring in really good cricketers. And I think as you mentioned, Charlie, there with the Oval Invincibles, what they need is some really good domestic players because, you know, there are, there are a lot of great overseas players available you know out there but but if you're going to be a successful t20 franchise you have to have a core of domestic players there there are no teams anywhere in the world that win championships purely on overseas players you have to have that domestic core and so therefore that's an absolutely key thing that the welsh fire need to achieve yeah 100% and i think that's twofold really because not only does that strengthen you on the pitch but it also is a big part of creating that identity, which the Welsh Fire have been lacking and a lot of the other teams have managed to build over the last two years. I was lucky enough to be at Edgebaston for all of the Phoenix home games last season. And one thing that really stood out to me was how much the Birmingham locals got behind a lot of these players that had no real connection to Birmingham beyond mm-hmm. the fact that they played for Birmingham Phoenix. You know, Will Smead, for example, hugely popular figure at Edgebaston now because he's been there for two years and he is essentially a Birmingham boy now. He's not at all, geographically speaking, but the fact that he is a young English player that the team have invested in and he's playing for them for two years and he's likely to stay there for the rest of his career, right? Let's be honest. That's someone that they can get behind and watch grow. And that's a really big part of creating that identity, having that player who's going to stay with the club for their career. So I think that's a really important thing that the fire needs to look into for multiple reasons. Yeah, and let's talk about that identity then, because there's a lot thrown around about, you know, Welsh Fire maybe building an identity through Glamorgan and, and bringing in some cricketers who play in Wales. First of all, not many cricketers who play for Glamorgan are A, Welsh, or B, any good at T20 cricket. So I think, let's be honest, that's a non-starter. So, so how do you go about building an identity, building a culture? I think, first of all, the thing you look at, Jolly, as we maybe point to the Birmingham Phoenix example, is having this 
play style, the way you play, which unifies, I think, your team. You talk about the Phoenix. They're super aggressive. They're all united behind that play style. They all play that way. They get behind the captain. There's a culture there, which is which is all about that aggressive brand of cricket, and it brings them together. So the question is, can the Welsh fire? It doesn't have to be that brand of cricket. Can they find a brand of cricket, find an identity that can bring this team together behind Mike Hussey and the, whoever's captain? I think there's no reason why they can't, as long as whoever's at the top, which now is Mike Hussey, as long as he comes in and says, look, this is the brand of cricket we want to play. I've drafted you in this team because I think you can contribute to winning games of cricket, playing in this style, and we're going to build this strong core of players that are going to go forward year after year and play the same brand of cricket. There's absolutely no reason why not. And I'm not going to say what brand of cricket is better than others. I mean, obviously... I happen to think that a nice aggressive attacking style is more enjoyable, but that might not be the way to want to go. But that's not really the point. The point is that if there is a philosophy in place and the players that they pick are recruited with that philosophy in mind, there's no reason why that can't be the case for this Welsh fireside. Yeah, and let's talk about leadership because I think when you think about you know United behind a play style, I think you look at the a lot of the great teams. And a lot of you know just very successful teams in general have a coach and a captain who are united behind that play style. You look at England with Owen Morgan and Trevor Bayliss. You look at England with Brandon McCullough and Ben Stokes. You look at various different teams in franchise cricket that have a coach and a captain and a team united. So the question is, what is the importance of bringing in that leader compared to bringing in? really good cricketers because the the rumors are that the Welsh fire are targeting Tom Abel potentially as their captain. Now, I think if you're doing that, you're probably going to have to draft them in my, you know, either the back end of round two or the start of round three where you have consecutive picks. What do you make about bringing Abel in as captain? So I want to preface this by saying that I am probably one of the biggest Tom Abel fans outside of Taunton. Anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will be well aware of how much I love Tom Abel and his ability. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's a good captain too. I think he's done a very good job at Somerset over the years. Uh, I, I like what he brings to the table in that regard. And I think he would undoubtedly be a good pick for them purely on those bases alone. However, I think there is an issue for me with Abel, and that's his injury record. Recently, it's been abysmal, mm. whether it's his hip or his hamstring or his side. It seems to be happening every second or third game he plays and then he's out for another few months while it recovers and then he'll come back again and then the same thing will happen and it's an issue. So I do have my, my qualms with paying 125 or 100k for a player with that injury record. But if that wasn't the case, then I would be on board with it personally. But it, yeah, the injuries make it hard to endorse. It's, it's unavoidable as the issue. And ultimately, the best ability is availability, right? It's all well and good bringing in these absolute star brilliant names, but they don't turn up. Then what's the point, right? You could bring in a, you bring in some fantastic players who have absolutely no availability to the hundred. That looks great on the team sheet and looks great in you know your your sponsors and everything. But they don't set foot in Sophia Gardens, and what's the bloody point? Uh, I think that is kind of my issue with Tom Abel. Again, we're big fans of Tom Abel. I think he's a fantastic cricketer. I, I think he would be incredibly well suited to the to, to Welsh fire. A little bit samey to Ollie Pope, maybe. I think better cricketer, obviously, on, on record in the T20 format, but maybe a bit samey there. But you know, just just a player who can score three sixty round the ground, adds a lot of impetus, runs a lot of you know r- really good twos, which isn't you know the biggest thing in the world. I don't think it's easy for cricket, but. If you're on those, you know, big square boundaries, you can access them, which is important. I just, I just don't think you can pay 
any money to you know a player like that if he hasn't played a hundred game in two years and he's already currently injured by the way and if at any point as we said about Ollie Stone and Matt Fisher last year, a gust of wind was to blow across Edgebaston. They both fall over and break their knee in half, which you know basically did happen last year after we said it would happen. I'm I'm not sure you can go that route as much as I like Tom Abel. So my preferred strategy really would be to identify the best domestic talent you could possibly get and the best overseas talent you can possibly get but ultimately pick a captain out of what you've got rather than targeting a captain, because I think that is where you can find yourself issues, especially if, let's say, Johnny Bairstow is actually keen to play for you and he could be a captain for, say, six or seven games. Yeah, I think ultimately if you have the best players and as long as the coach is setting that agenda, what your playing style is going to be, then you can kind of figure out the culture from there. It sort of sets itself at that point. I think obviously having a strong leader on the pitch is important, but... In the grand scheme of things, I'd much rather have the better players than the better captain because you can, you can teach things like captaincy. You can teach your matchups. You can work with your analyst, get that data, and you can understand those decisions. You can't necessarily make a dodgy player a much better player overnight in the same way that you could do with teaching and captaincy skills. So that's my, that's my take on it. You invest in your best players early doors and the rest hopefully will follow. Yeah, I think, I think that's the way you've got to do it. Um, and I think the final thing I will say about the Welsh fire heading into this draw, before we get into the trends, what they need to do, and this is going to sound really stupid, is to put out the best possible cricket team. And they need to approach the draft by putting together the best possible cricket team, not by drafting the best possible cricketers. And we're going to get onto that in a moment. But I think that's really important. I think there needs to be a holistic strategy here. Whether you're entering the, you're entering the draft, you know you have the number one pick. You control a lot of the draft with the amount of draft capital and the amount of picks you have. I think they need to enter this saying, we are going to pick a cricket team. We're going to get the best possible value out of this draft rather than just picking big names and big cricketers. That is, is crucial and that's what we're going to talk about now when we talk about the draft trends. We've kind of set out now what we think needs to happen, you know, what the Welsh Fire needs to be aiming towards. Let's talk draft trends, Charlie, and what we're seeing in this pool of players. And I think the first thing that we identify is the domestic pool of talent here is pretty thin. Yeah, and I think this is largely a result, as it was last season too, of a lot of retentions happening at below the player's market value. Now, that's great for those teams, of course, because it means that they're getting the players they want for significantly cheaper in some cases than they would do if they're having to draft that player back again. The downside of that, of course, is that certainly in terms of draft entertainment value, there's a handful of top quality domestic players and then below that, a quite considerable drop to more average players who in an open market or an open draft even probably wouldn't go for that much. But because there are quite a high number of mid to high picks available, they're going to end up going for more money than they're worth because of the fact that a lot of players have taken prices lower than they are worth on the open market. So that's created this kind of imbalance here. And as we saw last season, the likes of Tom Banton, Tom Cole, Cadmore, Liam Dawson, Laurie Evans, et cetera, all going for full whack at 125K, that's going to happen again, most likely. And I think that really put an emphasis on where are the best domestic players going to be in this draft. The domestic players are difference makers. You, know, you can find players down the draft. You can find contributors. But the difference makers, the best domestic talent, they're going to be available in the top three rounds. 
that, that that's where you're going to get them. That's the only place you're going to get really, really star domestic players that are available for you. And I think that ultimately kind of tailors the way you have to attack this draft. You need to find those domestic players early doors. And I think it's also exacerbated by the fact that, look, the Welsh Fire don't have any needs. That's one thing we haven't really talked about here. We just said bringing good cricketers. The Welsh Fire don't have any needs. They just have lots of lots of deficits. They need to bring in talent. Other teams are really kind of locked into the kind of things they're doing. I mean, you, you look at the Trent Rockets, for example, they need a domestic keeper. They probably need to find one in round one because they have no picks in the middle of the draft. So they are basically locked into going and getting a keeper up top. You know, there's there's throughout, I think, a lot of the sides, you very obviously know that they need certain things. The London Spirit, they need middle-order batters and probably some left-handers. But there's not many of them. There's not many of them in this draft. So they're probably going to, you know, whack some domestic talent up to the top of their board. The Birmingham Phoenix, again, you know, they, they'll they want that wicketkeeper batter potentially so they don't have to play Dan Mount, uh, Chris Benjamin in this side. So... All of these teams have real domestic needs, which pushes domestic players up the board because there's not many players who can fill those needs. And that probably means that a lot of these really good domestic players are going to go early. So if you're the Welsh Fire, you have to go and get them. You do. And I think that's absolutely the way they have to go here. We said earlier that the domestic core is so important here. I think you have to work out a list of who you think the most valuable domestic players are, work it out, and then... Pick them off the list one by one. Whoever's top of that list at any point in those first few picks, you go for them. I don't care about needs at that point in the draft. You just, it doesn't really matter. You just hoover up the best domestic players that are there. When you get low on the board, you can start trying to fill in those needs. But certainly early doors, you just need to get the best domestic players possible. And in some cases, you know, with the first pick and the fact that you've got a few RTMs going as well, you can probably do that. So if they don't do that, I think that'll be silly. Yeah. And and that's let's talk about how they can use the right to match as a weapon here. They have the right to match on Ben Duckett. I think, I'm just going to consider this, Charlie. I think there are, I think every other team picking in the first round, that's the Brave, the Phoenix, the Spirit, and the Rockets, would probably have Ben Duckett at the top of their board almost, I think at least. I certainly would if I was managing those teams, I look at the Southern Brave, I think I need a left-hander in the top order. If I'm Birmingham Phoenix, that's also exactly what I want. If I'm London Spirit, I'm also thinking you want a left-hander in that top middle order. That's what I've got there. So every single team, you're right, I agree, if they're sensible, would have Ben Duckett right at the top there. So they have the potential, the Welsh Fire, to cause some headaches and annoy some teams by RDMing them straight back. And not only does that cause a headache for them, but I think it's a good pick for them, frankly. You mentioned it earlier, right? I don't think there's that many high-quality left-handed batters, certainly domestic ones, who are going to be available in this draft. Ben Duckett's clearly the best one here. Get him. Why wouldn't you? It's simple. Yeah. As simple as, I mean, to, to put that to point and emphasise it, we have Lewis Deploy at 100k in this draft. Now, look, um, Lewis Deploy is a good cricketer. Charlie, you really like him. I think he's Lewis Deploy, um, but he, he's a, he's a good cricketer. He's going at 100k, which is way more than Lewis Deploy is worth. But let's be frank about that, and that's because there aren't many left-handers who can bat in that middle order. Um, and, and so, I think you look at that rarity, and you have the Artemian on Duckett. So you pick someone first overall, whoever that is. You take Duckett, 
And then I think you just need to continue hitting those key domestic players. Because again, as we say, so many of these teams have real needs. They have to fill in these first rounds. They're probably forced into doing something that we don't like doing, which is just going off need rather than going off talent. And that does mean some specific players in specific positions might drop to you. For example... Look at the Southern Brave, don't really need a Seamer. Phoenix, don't need a Seamer. Spirit really need to fill out that middle order so they're not going after a Seamer. And the Trent Rockets already have a bowling attack. Does that mean that Reese Topley might fall to you as well? And he's one, he's arguably, I'd say, and I'd argue, he's the best domestic player available. He might fall to you. And you have to weaponize that opportunity, which, and, and all of this together basically means, Charlie, Overseas players aren't high on our lists at the top of this draft. That's true. I think there's multiple reasons for that. First of all, is obviously availability. There aren't that many nations that have completely full availability for 100. So that's wiping out a fair few players who otherwise would be quite high on their list. The other reason is that in comparison to the domestic drop-off in terms of the drop-off from their very best players to the more average and mediocre players, they is not a considerable drop-off at all in terms of the quality of the overseas players in the higher reserve prices to ones much lower down. For example, in our draft here, in our mock draft, you drafted Glenn Phillips down at 50k, Dilwood Brevis down at 40k, Kay's Armand was the most expensive at 60k. Free bargain deal was there. And you have the ability to do that because they're probably not going to go that much higher in the draft. Tristan Stubbs went back to Manchester in our mock draft for 50k. Again, Great value pick. Tabray Shamsi down in round 11 for the Oval Invincibles for 40k. So, you know, these are all quality overseas players who are worth far more than that. But the draft dynamic allows you to do that. And I think that's something that you have to take advantage of. Especially as there are more good overseas available than there are picks. I mean, the other teams combined are going to bring in... I think, I believe, I'm just going to do some very quick maths, six overseas players overall throughout this draft. Um, that's the rest of the teams. So you have a great opportunity here to sweep them up. And and again, look, Mitchell Stark's a big name, I know, but let's be honest, Mitchell Stark's, you know, consistency in turning up to franchise tournaments, he's contracted to play, is really poor. Um, so why would you go after him when you could go after someone later? We like Trent Bolt, but... You know what? What's the what's the real drop off to taking someone at sixty k like Mohammed Amir, for example? And there's loads of these great overseas players available at sixty k, fifty k, forty k, no base price. And I, I want to kind of run through some of our favourites at these at these slots, which we think the Welsh fire should be picking at sixty k for me. Um, you know, I really like the idea of Mohammed Amir there. Um, you've got Aidan Markram there. Kazar, man. I mean, first of all, phenomenal spinner who's had a good record for Welsh Fire. Second of all, great availability because the Afghanistan cricket board are a mess and refuse to play him for no reason. So he's going to be fully available for you. Um, and, th and then just brings just phenomenal value as a, a pretty much gun leg spinner who can add a little bit with a bat and add a bit of batting depth, which is, you know, not, not much, but can do it. You can find a great player like that. And, you know, we love the likes of Adam Zampa higher in the draft, but if you can get Kay's Ahmad at 60k or to Bray Shamsi at 40k, you're laughing. Absolutely. And there's multiple other players that extend through the 60k category as well. If you want a Seema, for example, yeah, sure, Trent Bolt is a good player at 100k. Mitchell Stark's very good at 125k, but 60k, you hold off, you can get yourself Harris Ralph, Nazim Shah. Yeah. You know, that, it's a no-brainer for me. There's a Marco Janssen even. 
uh, what an all-round talent he's going to be, get him at 60K. Likely going to be mostly available, if not fully available, depending on his involvement in South Africa. Why wouldn't you go down that route? To me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and I think that's the sweet spot for drafting a seamer in this draft. I look at Jason Berendorf, power up David Payne, as we call him. Full availability, left arm angle, tall, swings it. Just could be really, really effective on those very, very deep square boundaries and short straight boundaries at Sphere Gons. You know, a really, really good player. He's going to be fully available for you. You can get him much, much later on. I'll run through 50K. I mean... Some really, really nice left-handed batters available at 50K, Charlie. Devin Conway, Banuka Rajapaska, and Fakas Aman, Evan Lewis. I mean, Fakas Aman for me, you know, at 50K, complete bargain. And wouldn't you be much, much happier picking him up further, further down the draft if you're the Welsh Fire and bring in that top-level domestic talent? The thing is, it's a no-brainer again. I keep saying it, but you've got Mafisha Paterana here at 50k. Really exciting talent there. Raja Pax is one that really interests me as well. He's been out of nick recently, but he can absolutely smoke it from ball one and he can keep wicket and he's a left-hander. It's a really valuable skill set and it's very cheap at 50k. Surely that kind of talent is worth considering. Josh Inglis, again, at 50k. He's a rare talent that he's a right-hander, but he He's almost a faux left-hander because he's so good against the ball turning away from him. He's a cheat code and he keeps wicket. Again, so much value at a very cheap price. You've got to be worth considering these players. And I think if you're wasting your overseas slots, if you're the Welsh Fire early doors on, admittedly, good players, but very expensive players, I, I just think you're missing out on so much potential value lower down. Yeah, and look, to Bray Shams, he's probably going to be available for a decent amount of this tournament. Um, it could be you know the whole tournament in this South Africa cut ties with him given the way their relationship um that shams in the board's going ish so you'll have full availability at 40k hello um there's always a really fun leg spin you can pick up hey, if you fancy a bit of his all uh, is harold hag and tanvir sanger zahir khan hey no base price whatsoever nor ahmad no base price um azam khan really interests me um no base price um pakistani wicketkeeper batter big lad hits a long ball, isn't the Pakistan team because they can't look past the fact he's a bit bigger. But as we've seen in the PSL, can absolutely smoke it. Um, Glenn Phillips at 40k. We, we, we can throw all of these names around all day, but I think ultimately the premise here is, Charlie, you can find some incredible overseas players with basically full availability, much, much cheaper, which makes the, the makes ultimately the Welsh Fire decision very easy. Draft domestic players up top, build your core, and bring in some good overseas players, maybe not quite the same international standards as your high players, but with good availability and even better value. It's, it's the right way of going about this. 100%. And look, I, I completely understand that from a marketing perspective, you know, a trend bolt is going to offer you a lot more than Donovan Ferreira, right? But I don't really care, frankly. I think that the best form of marketing is good cricket being played mm -hmm. well. And I think that to maximize your chances of your team playing good cricket and making people want to come in and watch you, it's to go this way because there is significantly more overseas talent available than there is domestic talent in terms of high quality. It's spread far, far more evenly across the reserve prices in the overseas list than it is in terms of the domestic one. So it's very obvious that to me, hit your domestics early and then stock up on some really good value overseas lower down. It's the only way to go for me. Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. We see a lot of these mock drafts and we hear noises. Well, are they going to go for Mitchell Stark? Send a couple of mock drafts to say maybe Babar Azam, all of this. I, I just think that 
you, you know, bringing in a Barbara Rosanna or Mitchell Stark, I have a bigger name, they have a great they are, isn't going to fix your problems. You've got to holistically build this side. So I, I think embracing the value of overseas later down the draft, I know we're nerds, I know this is our area, there are some great names here. Oh, you, you, I could, we could keep going. There, there are some really great names here, and I think this is the way to attack the draft. So ultimately, the, the, those are the two kind of big things here. Prioritize domestic players early. Look at those really great value overseas players later on. And there's, you know, you can be flexible there. You could get a spinner, you could get a seamer, you could get batter. There's lots of options available. So that's the very core of it. So I think it then kind of ultimately leads us to well, you know, what kind of players do you want to go and get? And I see it as let's go and get the really valuable skill sets. Let's go and get, you know, the the all-rounders, really. You know, the Welsh Fire, the last couple of seasons have had five bowling options and it's been a bit of a disaster. So can you go and find a gun all-rounder? Can you go and attack guys who are real difference makers, as we say, who can operate at the death, operate at the power play and take wickets, who can whack the ball and really change a game? Those are the kind of players you've got to find throughout the draft. They are. And I think there's one in particular in the domestic ledge to really stand out to me straight away is being that player who can bring some balance, who can bat, and it's a genuine force that bowler. It's David Willey. For me, he seems like such an obvious pick for them. Really early doors as their first pick. Get him in. There's no RGM to worry about because the superchargers don't have a slot there and chances are they wouldn't go back there anyway. I just think he is such a good call. And I think if you don't take him with that first pick, chances are they're not going to get round to him. So I'd go in really early there. You've got a, a left-hander who bowls really well in the power play. Admittedly, not much use after that, but that's okay because he's also a really solid hitter. And he's left-handed too, which is a very rare skill set in this draft, as we said. He ticks a lot of boxes for me. Good player of spin as well, which is crucial. You can float him up and down the order. And what he does is allows you to not just have to rely on those five bowlers anymore. You can balance your team in different ways. You can go bowler heavy or batter heavy, and you'll probably still be okay. That's how valuable all-rounders are. It's very rare to find ones of Willie's quality in this draft. I just think you have to go for that kind of player if they're available. And thankfully for them, he is. Yeah, I, I think he's the first overall pick as well. And, and you know, Max Backhouse, um, Lancashire analyst, former Manchester Originals analyst, threw this name at us when we did the, the first episode after the retentions. He said David Willey was in play. I completely agree. You've got the RTM on Duckett. I, I see it as a debate, really, with the first overall pick between Willey and Topley. Um, and I think Willey's more likely to go before round three than Topley is because of the needs of other teams. The London Spirit could really do with another bowling option and a left-hander in the middle order. Also do with a left-arm seamer. Um, so David really fits them really well. So even though he's a bit on the older side, and even though he's maybe a little bit more limited in terms of his phase versatility with the ball, Willie will offer you some really good power playovers, some experience, some hitting, just feels like the right pick at first overall. And it might not be the super sexy, splashy Mitchell Stark pick, but we're looking at this on a holistic level. It brings in a really valuable skill set and can and can turn your team around. So I think consensus-wise, we've kind of landed on David Willey as our first overall pick. Now, kind of going with all of these lessons that we've learned here in terms of the you know attacking valuable positions, domestic players up top, overseas players lower down. Let's talk about our first, um, what we would do, mock draft, 
of the the 100 draft cycle. Now, I preface this by saying what we would do, because I know a lot of people try and predict what teams are going to do. We, you know, we will do that at some point, but... This mock draft was really us taking a look at how we would approach this draft if we were every team. It's not necessarily what's going to happen. It's what we would do. I took the Welsh fire and then we split the rest of the teams um, between us. And we're not going to go through that whole thing. You can find this mock draft on our Twitter page at Podcast 100. It's going to be up there now. So if you head over to our Twitter page at Podcast 100, you can see all the picks. But we're going to talk through the the picks that I've made for the Welsh fire and how I've fleshed out this team. And Charlie, we'll start really with two picks we've basically accepted are going to happen. David Willey and Ben Duckett. David Willey first overall, Ben Duckett right to match. And we've talked about this a lot, so I don't need to go into it too much, but gun all-rounder, or at least a you know, very good all-rounder who offers left arm swing and can bat left hand in the middle order. And then, you know, your, your left-handed batter for the middle order as well in Ben Duckett. Two rare skill sets in this draft, which we're able to control with the first overall pick and the RTM. Absolutely. And I think both, for me, would also be no-brainers were I in charge of the Welsh Fire draft. David Willey, you've got a really solid all-rounder. In Ben Duckett, you have a superb player of spin. One of the best players of spin in the country, plus he's a left-hander, plus he can keep. Again, very, very simple decision for me. A lot of other teams are going to be wanting David. A lot of other teams are going to be wanting his services. But if you have the RTM, don't let them. It's that simple. Already there, you've got two of the best domestic players locked in. It's a great start. Can't really go wrong. No. And I think if Ben Duckett really left the Welsh Farbs, didn't want to come back, there's, there's two things here. First of all, tough. This is how the draft works. We get to keep you. Whether that's fair or not, I'm not completely sure. It's com- it's fair. Um, but that, that's the reality. We can bring him back. If you really think that he's not the player you want to bring in and you you don't think he wants to come back, you don't want to bring him back, you're probably bringing in Lewis Deploy, which is less of a good option, but that's probably the option you're taking. But in this example, let's say Ben Douglas is coming back and he's delighted because he's seen how great a team Mike Cassie, Ed Farron, Charlie Peters are as a GM coach combo. So happy with that. And then in round three, we get Reese Topley. And before I get your reaction to that, Charlie, this is a great pick, I think. Again, let's talk about how he ended up here. Because it might seem unrealistic. Brave don't need a seamer. Birmingham Phoenix don't really need a seamer in this team. What they need is a wicketkeeper batter. London Spirit need to fill this middle order. They've already got Nathan Ellis. They've already got Mark Wood. You know, in an ideal world, I'm sure they'd love Reese Topley, but they really need to fill out that middle order now that Owen Morgan's there. And Tom Abel is a, you know, kind of, as we said, kind of faux left-hander almost, brings a lot there, short square boundaries. He can access so much of that Lord's turf. I think he'd be fantastic for them. He goes there. Um, then you also go kind of move towards Trent Rockets. They really need a wicketkeeper batter. So they go after maybe a Tom Cola Cadmore, which they do here. It means that Reese Topley is kind of the odd one out and falls to us in round three, which is fantastic news because suddenly, from out of nothing, you have a seam attack you can work with in, you know, David Willey, Reese Topley, and then whatever you want to do with Jake Ball and David Payne. It's not bad at all, is it? Plus George Scrimshaw, a young bowler. Yeah, absolutely. Who I really like. He bowls a really mean short delivery there. It's not elite necessarily, but in terms of your domestic seam attacks, it's a pretty good place to be building up from. I like it. Yeah, and Reese Topley fits Svigons really well, by the way. Obviously, offers something with a new ball. 
you know, can take wickets up top, so tall. I think he's a really improved death operator. I think we both said this the last three years, I'd say, with the Reese Topley. Uh, it's such a shame he got injured before the World Cup. And, yeah, the injury thing does come in here, but there's not many good seamers around. So we're going to um, tactically ignore that for now. But a much improved death operator, tall, can dig it into that surface. You're still probably concerned a bit about death bowling, but he's at least the guy who you're going to throw to. He's going to have to be your gun. You're going to give him 10 at the top, maybe 10 at the death, or maybe five at the top with David Willey bowling a bit more there, throw him there, you know, throw the ball to get, get you a wicket. He can be that difference maker with the ball. And so I think Reese Topley is almost a no-brainer no there. So Willey, Duckett, Topley, great start. Now things get a little bit more complicated as we head to round five. Now, when we get here, I believe, and our draft showed, that a domestic leg spinner is going to be available. We think, at least. The two you know, big guns in this draft, Jake Linter and Matthew Parkinson, we project that one of them is going to be available. Now, it might be Linter, it might be Parkinson, depending on the, how the originals are feeling about this whole situation. Linter went in our mock draft before, so I brought in Matt Parkinson. If Matt Parkinson had gone before, I'd have brought in Jake Linter. I think this is the the real risk here, Charlie, because I think we both agree that Matthew Parkinson is probably not built for Sophia Gardens. No, he isn't. He he bowls quite a slow, flighty delivery, um, which is great. It's lovely to watch, and it is very, very good. But uh, a ground like Sophia Gardens, when the boundaries are the way they are, it can be quite tantalising that particular delivery. That particular delivery, if you are a batter who likes to hit a long ball, because some of the shorter boundaries plus the slow, flighty ball means that chances are he's going to be ending up in the river tough quite a bit, and it's risky. Uh, and on paper, I feel like Lintop probably suits that ground better because mm. of the way he bowls. It's a bit quicker, a bit flatter, harder to get under than Matthew yeah. Parkinson. But. And this is a big but, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying this to to ignore the concerns that we've spoken about because they are valid concerns. And, yeah, and if you're paying 75k for a bowler who, you know, you are kind of accepting will be launched at the ground a reasonable amount because of how he is, I know that's a risk, <laughs> right? I'm not denying that. But I think when you are a bowler fire, when you have a draft dynamic like this, when the domestic talent isn't particularly deep, and when the overseas talent is quite deep then I think it's probably worth going in on a bowler like Parkinson because there aren't many domestic leg spinners out there. And if you want one, he's the best one you've got. Yeah, And not, not all your games are going to be at Cardiff either. So, you know, there are going to be grounds where you go away and he does really well. Look, I know it's a risk, but I think it's worth investing in a talent like Parkinson. He had a really poor season last year by everyone's admission, but there's a clear talent there. I think it's worth backing that kind of talent and investing in it because there isn't much of it out there. Hey, you got to risk it. And... Let's be clear here. There aren't many better domestic options available. If you're talking no. about the caliber of player you can bring in here, Linter or Parkinson's absolutely, you know, the the locks here. And to to emphasise this, the the domestic player that went before Matthew Parkinson was Sam Hain. The two domestic players that went after Matthew Parkinson are Stevie Eskenazi and Michael Pepper. Now Eskenazi and Pepper are really nice players. We both like Parkinson's a level above. That, let's be frank here. And what he can offer you, you know, just away from Sfigons as well, which is important, but also there um, as a really talented leggy is huge. And I think it's a risk. And I think, you know, 
it emphasised the fact you're going to need sixth or seventh bowling options because you don't want to. You don't necessarily want to bowl at his quota all the time, and you have to have a good captain, a creative captain, and you know Matt's going to have to work on how he operates in that environment, which is going to be ultimately you know high high risk, high reward, maybe a lot of wickets, maybe a lot of runs. But at this stage, he's got to bring in good players. So as much of it's a risk, I, I don't see any other domestic players that you're thinking, wow, that's really going to make a massive difference for this team, to be honest with you. No, not really. I think you need to take a risk sometimes. And I think you need to invest in those players that can make that big difference. You know, I think a high risk, high reward strategy is often a good play here. I think particularly if you're a team that struggled as much as the Welsh Fire have, it's, it's worth taking a punt on someone like that because frankly, it can't get any worse. You know, I feel like it's always better having a player that could be awful but could be brilliant and a player who is just going to be all right all the time. Mm. And Parkinson is that player who can win you a game. Whereas, you know, no disrespect to, say, I don't know, like a Steve Eskenazi, really good player, but he's probably not necessarily going to be that huge difference maker in the same way that Parkinson could be on his day. So that's why I think that strategy is a, a logical one and it, it has its merits. Yeah, especially when you've already got Bairstow and Clark and Duckett in the side and you could go and get an overseas top-order player as well. I, I just feel like you have to and risk it. And I do think the ideal scenario is the originals are very comfortable with Matt Parkinson. They bring him back and you get Jake Linton. Now, there's the scenario I think you're maybe slightly happier with. Again, that left arm wristing angle. He's he's an interesting player, Linter. He bowls a bit flatter, sometimes difficult to get down the pitch to him. So you think those, you know, deep square boundaries he could protect better. So yeah, that's for a moment ignore that I've picked Parkinson and say it's Parkinson or Linter. Either way, I think you're happy. Linter you might prefer. But you get a you get a good leg spinner, you get a good domestic leg spinner. Another you know, really valuable asset. And I think when we reflect on the four picks we've done here, right? Willie, Duckett, Topley, Parkinson. All of them play for England. And we talked about building this domestic core, right? Suddenly, you have four players who've played for England in your side. You've got the test match number three. I know it's a test match number three, but for a moment, let's just, you know, let's consider that. Johnny Bairstow is there. Joe Clark is a, you know, overseas franchise player, top order batter. David Payne and Jake Ball, again, have both played for England and they both offer something as a domestic seamer. Suddenly you feel so much better about, firstly, the ability of these players, the quality you have, and also the prestige. The fact that you're feeling something, you've got these players who've been there, done that, have played on the biggest stages, and you can fill yourself with confidence that you've got experienced players, experienced operators with high potential brought into the Welsh Fire, which is great. And again, there aren't that many domestic players available in this draft who have that level of experience, that level of prestige, those higher honours. There aren't that many left. As we said, the next pick after Parkinson is Stevie Eskenazi, and he's had a bit of franchise cricket over the winter. He's gone out and played the big bash with the Perth Scorchers, but that's really the crown of his achievements as a, mm. as a cricketer in terms of the biggest stages. He's not um, played in the 100 before. It no, was, he hasn't. It was, it was ridiculous he didn't, but he's not played in the 100 before. No, and this is the, this is the difference in quality that you have. And maybe Stevie isn't the next player in terms of if we were going to list this purely in terms of like uh, talent, ability, whatever. But obviously he went earlier in the draft because of uh, the needs basis that the Southern Brave usually went to that they had to to pick a batter there and he was the best one available. But uh, irrespective of that, I think it's still illustrative of the general point that the, the drop in quality between the best domestic players and some of the, the lesser ones is pretty steep. And 
Parkinson, I feel like, is the obvious play here with that in mind. Yeah. I, I think you feel good about the domestic team you have, which now opens us up. And we've got four picks left. And um, the final one's a little bonus, bonus, really. It's domestic player who might be a contributor. We'll see. The next three picks are the overseas picks I've brought in. And we can talk about them all here. But as we said, there's loads of value um, in the you know 60K to 40K range of these great, you know, overseas players. You bring in Kays Ahmad in round seven. Um, Afghan, Leggy, played well with Welsh Fire, one of the best bowlers in the original tournament. You bring him in. Glenn Phillips, who will have full availability, you think, as a New Zealand player, is one of the best fielders in the world, if not the best fielder in the world, has genuinely, and you talk about connecting with the fans, Glenn Phillips had the best moment for a Welsh fire side. He created the best moment for a Welsh fire side. Gen- genuinely, when you when you look at you know that innings he played against the London Spirits, Fear Gardens in season one, he's really destructive. He can access those square boundaries. He can access those straight boundaries. He can keep as well. Hey, he can bowl some part-time off spin. It's pretty disgusting, but he can do it. And then finally, in round 11, we're talking about the future, building our future core. Welcome to old Brevis. Top order player, you know, a player who could be literally anything. He's going to play in the Mumbai Indians, for the Mumbai Indians in the IPL. He's a future star. And he's not yet in the South African setup, not made a South Africa debut yet. So he should have full availability. So here we are, Charlie. Three overseas players, two of which have already played for the Welsh Fire, with full availability, who can all be impact makers in year one and potentially beyond. And what more do you want? You've got lots of different bases covered there. You've got a hard-hitting youngster in Devil Brevis, who is someone who ideally you would want to keep year after year, retain them annually, watch them grow with the franchise. And, you know, in four or five years' time, you're looking at potentially the best player in the world there, who you bought for 40k a few years ago. And it's such an obvious way to go about it. And it just makes so much sense. Likewise, Glenn Phillips, okay, he's not going to be a world-class star like Brevis probably is. But what he is is a very, very good, versatile middle-order batter who, as you said, can do a lot of things pretty well. He's a really valuable player. He's a really good player. Glenn Phillips is a really, really good cricketer. And you don't have to be the best player in the world. He's probably never going to break the IPL. But he's a really good cricketer. He is, and at 50k, I think he's a steal. Likewise, Kays Ahmad, again, really good leg spinner. Really underrated, I think. Why Afghanistan they pick him, I don't understand. I know they've got so many leg spinners, but Kays Ahmad is a very, very good one. Again, 60k for Kays Ahmad for a player who's already played for this team and done well. He was on the few good things about that 2021 Welsh Fire men's campaign. It, again, it makes complete sense if you've got him available on the board, and we expect he probably will be at 60k, then... You go for it, and suddenly you have loads of different bases covered. Three genuinely exciting, fully available overseas players, all for cheap. In addition to the selection of four England players who you've got signed at the top of the draft board, and suddenly you're feeling pretty good about where you're at. Yeah, and I think these are really good cricketers who can make a difference. Again, they're all going to be available. They're all going to play for you. I just, I think it offers so much. And, you know... Devil Brothers probably needs to rediscover his leg spin, mainly because the Mumbai Indians are screwed with their team balance. If you look at the team they've put together, if you follow the IPL, if he doesn't bowl his leggies. Um, so he might be able to, to offer something with the ball as well, which is super exciting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the team that I'm going to project that the Welsh are going to put out, and we'll, we'll get to our final pick in a moment. 
And I'm going to leave the final pick out um, from this run through because he does feature. You've got Joe Clark and Daryl Brevis opening the batting. That's a really potentially destructive opening pair there. You've got Ben Duckett at three, Johnny Bairstow coming in at four. Now, you could promote Johnny, do whatever you want, really, but that's exciting. Glenn Phillips at five, David Willey at six. There you are. You've got two left-handers in there. You've got players who can access square boundaries. You've got spin hitters. You've got pace hitters. We'll leave number seven for now. Kays Ahmad comes in at eight. You know, gun leggy. He can offer something with the bat. Something. He can, you know, he, he can hold a bat. He can, you know, wiggle away some boundaries. He's not fantastic. He's not the best batter you've ever heard of, but he can give you something. And whilst he's not a great batter, Kays Ahmad's come up clutch a couple of times in franchise cricket with the bat. You don't always have to be a guy with a strike rate of 150. Sometimes you can just be an number eight who can come up clutch. I think that's great. And then you've got you know, three players who can't really bat in Parkinson, Ball and Topley, but let's avoid that for now. Um, but you know, you've got two laggies, Reese Topley and David Willey, two really good left armers, Jake Ball, George Scrimshaw, David Payne, whoever you want to play there. So you've got five good bowling options. You've got that middle order. Glenn Phillips might offer you something with the ball. I just feel so much better. And um, before we get to that final pick, who offers another bowling option, and we'll get to that, Charlie, I feel really good, regardless of who you maybe take with the the, the final domestic pick, of where we've got to here. It's a nicely balanced team, isn't it? There's plenty of talent there. Lots of aggressive hitters, lots of more stroke players and touch players as well. Nice right-left balance in the batting. In the bowling, you've got two nice leg spinners there. You've got two good left armers. And you've got a solid other option in Jake Ball or Scrimshaw as well. You can come in, bowl back of a length. There's nice variety. You've got some genuinely elite players here as well, of course, in the likes of Bairstow. Um, is it the best team here? Probably not. Is it an improvement over the last couple of seasons? Is it a team that I think could genuinely compete this season? Yes. Honestly, I think it is. I think they've got match winners there and balance. And I, I look at that team and I, I see the semblance of an identity forming already there. I think that team works. Hmm. And look, we don't have to win the tournament straight away. I think the, 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 something we didn't agree in the parameters of this early on is that we, we I don't think either of us think we're going to lock in a team as going to be favourites for the title straight away. What I think we both thought was that we could build a team that could be fun and could challenge and could do some interesting things. That's where we kind of got to with this side. And I think we've created it. I feel good about it. The final pick, and you, you know you could do anything here. I have brought in a Glamorgan player for that hashtag um, Wales, Welsh pride, and um, the pride of the most Welsh place on earth, Kingston-upon-Thames. Dan Douthwaite, obviously went to Cardiff Met University. Um, and if you've ever met an English person who went to university in Cardiff, they act unbearably Welsh, so I guess that counts. Unlike Douthwaite, I think you need to ignore his bowling because his bowling recently is not being good. Glamorgan have an over-dependency on Douthwaite as a bowler. You can maybe sneak 5-10 out of him somewhere in the innings, if necessary. You don't want to. What I'm interested in is his strike rate with the bat. 2020 T20 uh, Cup in, in England. Strike rate of 178. Now, I only face 42 balls, so not a big sample size, but... Let's talk about 2021, 2022. In 2021, strike of 153 for Glamorgan. 2022, strike of 183 for Glamorgan. The, he gets going. He really gets going. He's got a boundary percentage around 25%. He hits more sixes and he hits fours. 
I think Dan Douthwaite can be really, really destructive. And if you plop him in at seven in this side, and you know you have a guy who can really attack those square boundaries, who can really obliterate pace at times, I think I think he can be really special. Uh, and I think he can offer something to this side. Again, we're not going to use him as a rounder. He's, he's not going to be a guy who bowls 20 deliveries. He's going to be our hitter who can offer something with the ball. And I'm really excited about what he can offer. And again, you could pick up Matt Critchley here, or whatever you want to do. I like Dalthwaite, so I'm picking him up. And I think this kind of cricketer, again, is a potential match winner, which is what we want. I'm glad you clarified the bowling because, yeah, it, it's a bit dodgy. Yes, it, <laughs> it's dodgy. We can. He, he's a very similar player to Jordan Thompson, I think. Uh, what we thought Jordan Thompson was going to be this time last year. Uh, he in that he is technically an all-rounder, a seam bowling all-rounder, but the bowling is not really mm. worth paying much attention to. It's a bonus. Fundamentally, what he is is a finisher or floating hitter in his side. If you want someone to hit a few bombs, you can slide him up the order. It's fine. You've got the batting to do that. You can use him as a floating hitter, you know. If there's a particular time where you've got a spin hitter, Carly to come in next, you don't want that. You want a bit more power. Then go for Dan Dalfway. Slide him up there. You don't really have much to lose by doing so. And he's not going to waste too many balls. He's not going to chew up too many balls. He's going to go for it and hit it. And if he doesn't hit it, he'll get out. That's fine. Either way, can't really lose too much. So he's a useful player to have there. I don't know if he would have necessarily been my pick here, but... I like it. I'm not going to disagree with you too much. We could we could do Matthew Critchley. We could do whatever you want. I, I don't really mind. Um, I just like Dalthway's hitter. And I think a strike rate's worth betting on. And uh, are you happy now, guys? Now I picked a Welsh player. I mean, someone's balling Kingston upon Thames. Now when I picked a Glamorgan player, do you feel local? Does the team have connections to the local community? Are you happy now? Thought you were. Um, yeah, we don't have to talk about Dan Dalthway too much, but I, I like him and he's the final pick here. But... Dan Dalthwaite really is, is and I, I, I say this as Dan Dalthwaite's biggest fan in the world, um, is not really the most important thing here. What the most important thing is here that we've achieved is bringing in domestic talent, bringing in overseas talent who's going to be available, and creating a team of Clark, Brevis, Duckett, Bairstow, Phillips, Willie, Dan Dalthwaite, Kazarman, Matthew Parkinson, insert your pick of Jake Ball, David Payne, George Scrimshaw here, and Reese Topley. And then you consider the fact that you have the first overall pick in the wildcard draft, so you can pick the form player in the blast to join your team. That might be a hitter and an all, or an all-rounder to replace Dan Douthway. That might be a seamer. That might be a... It could be whatever you want. You have the pick there of the form players of the blast who are breaking through. I, I feel really good about that side. And, you know, that might not be the exact side they end up with because the draft could play out very differently to what we want here, Charlie, but... I think this is an example of what you can achieve by playing to the rules that we've set here. Absolutely. I think obviously it's worth mentioning that a lot of these picks in might not be available to them if the draft goes differently than the yeah. one we've done. But I think the principle still works the same. Willie and Duckett are absolutely there if you want them. If Topley doesn't fall them, that's fine. They might be able to get a Tom Abel there, for example. They might be able to get someone like Lewis Deploy or if Mackie Parkinson doesn't come, that's fine. They can probably get Jake Lintock. So while the exact players might slightly differ, the quality isn't going to change too much and the strategy remains exactly the same. So whether or not this exact scenario plays out, it probably won't, let's be honest, because of the nature of these things. But if they if they go into that with the same mentality and the same strategy, then they're going to get similar results. Yeah. And I think this, I think, is an ideal scenario. And it basically played out the way I wanted. You know, maybe Topley isn't there. You know, maybe things change. But... You've got to have the correct process 
And I think here we have the right process. And I hate to say this, Charlie, but I think we've pretty much fixed the Welsh fire. Job done. Congratulations. Um, I think I think we've done a sterling job. And we, we've achieved everything we wanted to. We brought in great domestic talent. We brought in overseas talent. We've built for the future. We've built for now. We've got a contending team, potentially. We're feeling pretty good. The thing is, though, could you do better? Do you think that Barbara Zam should win the first overall pick? Do you think we're speaking nonsense? Well, you have the opportunity to prove us wrong. Because what we're going to be doing during the 100 draft is our Build Your Own Welsh Fire Challenge. We're going to both be playing along. We're going to use the tactics that we think make the most sense to pick the Welsh Fire side in real time on the night. It might be very different to the way we've just played it out. We're going to have to work on the fly. But we'll work it out. We'll build our Welsh Fire teams. You can build your Welsh Fire team. The way this is going to work is there's going to be a spreadsheet that's going to go up on our Twitter page at Podcast 100. You'll be able to find it um, on our Twitter page now, actually. You can go on there. You need to copy and make a copy of the spreadsheet. Please, for the love of God, do not ask me for edit rights. You need to make a copy of the spreadsheet, and then you can make your own. And throughout, you can fill in the draft board. And you can see what other teams have done with their picks and build your own Welsh Fireside from there. Now, we have the full overseas players list. We have my overseas shortlist of the best 50 overseas players that I think are worth, you know, whatever, and who I think are good value. We have a set of rules um, with the base prices, obviously, with our RTM sheet. We've got, you know, what we think each 100 team might do with the right to match and the players they might want to bring in to try and create some realism there. But basically, on the night, you fill in the picks as they happen and see what kind of Welsh fireside you can create. So at Podcast 100 is the place to go. Send us a picture of what you've done and on draft night, me and Charlie will see what you make and the best Welsh fireside well, well, you'll win absolutely nothing, but we'll feature you and we'll feature all of your Welsh Fire Make Your Own Team spreadsheets on our post-draft analysis, which will be good fun. So as I said, at Podcast 100 on Twitter, we get as many people involved as we can and we can see if we can all recreate the Welsh Fire better than me, but probably more importantly, better than Michael Hussey. So there we are. There's our Fixing the Welsh Fire podcast done and dusted. Charlie, do you feel like we fixed them? I feel like we've done as good a job as possible of fixing them, given the dynamics of this draft. So, yes, is my With answer. caveats. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Nothing incriminating in case his team were to ever play and they were really, really bad. Now, if you're Mike Hussey and you've listened to the entirety of this podcast, you want to bring myself and Charlie Peterson, the consultancy role will be available for a relatively unreasonable fee so please get in touch with us at podcast 100 on twitter look we're going to have loads of stuff um, coming up in the build up to the draft we'll have our mock drafts on our twitter page at podcast 100 we're doing some you know kind of pre-draft podcasts so keep an eye out on your feed we'll be together watching it in my living room for the actual draft so we're we'll doing some live tweeting and stuff so, so keep an eye on that but uh, yeah it's really fun we love this this is our period retentions draft period it's our time we're buzzing to see what every single franchise does, not just the Welsh Fire. So thank you very much for listening to The 100 Podcasts. We'll speak to you next time. Hold up. 